Hello and welcome to the Communications Spotlight, a podcast aiming to deliver high quality content for both internal and external communications. My name is Justin Teach, the Director of Virtual Events, and I will be your host. On today's episode, we look at a discussion from our Microsoft conference on the fundamentals of outstanding branding and earned media buzz. This all-star lineup features Katie Goldberg, the SVP for West Coast Food and Beverage Lead of Edelman, Seattle, Katie Kernut, former SVP of Communications and Public Affairs of Zillow, Kate Hudson, the Aviation Communications Manager at SeaTac Airport, Scott Thompson, Director of Communications for Seattle City Light, and this podcast is moderated by Jake Jacobson, former Director of PR at Children's Mercy Kansas City. Thank, thank you, everybody. Everybody having a good conference so far? You guys enjoying it? All right, so we have talked, uh, we were just hanging out in the, the green room. They actually give us a very VIP experience. Um, and we've been having a, a really fun conversation. So we're just going to treat this as an extension of that. And so uh, we've got some questions teed up that we're going to talk about. But really, the, the driving force of this conversation is going to be the questions that you enter in through the app. You know, they used to do the thing where they put the microphone in, in the middle of the room and you had to stand awkwardly for half of the session to ask your question and really hope that the smart person asked the first question. Um, and so now instead, you all get to be smart people and you get to ask the questions through that app and that is what's gonna make me look like a really good Oprah. So I appreciate that. Uh, but without further ado, I'd like to introduce the Katie Katie Scott, Scott panel. Um, and so Katie Goldberg, do you wanna kick us off and just uh, give us a quick little, the LinkedIn bio of yourself and then we'll just run down the line. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Goldberg. I am the West Coast Food and Beverage Lead at Edelman, which, in case you don't know, is a global communications firm. So I oversee our food and beverage clients across our Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, and Los Angeles offices, which range from everything to Starbucks to Charles Smith Wines to PCC Community Markets here in Seattle. I've been on the in-house side. I was the VP of comms for Martha Stewart and her company. Yes, I saw her every day. Um, so I have lots to share there. And I, prior to that, I was also on the video game side. I did PR for Microsoft and Xbox and also eSports um, and the growing world there. So run the gamut. Perfect. I'm Katie Kernut, so you can call me Katie C. Um, to cut down on the confusion. <laughs> uh, I recently left Zillow after 11 years. I started at Zillow in 2008, about a year after the company launched. Uh, we had around 100 employees then. Uh, when I left, we had 5,000. And I was the SVP of communications and public affairs. So I had gone from, you know, sort of launching Zillow's brand and helping Zillow, Zillow's brand become a household name um, through growing a corporate communications and employee communications team, um, as well as a, as a national and local government affairs team. Um, I left just in August, and I am a month into a new venture. I've started a communications and marketing firm with two former Zillow colleagues. So I'm very busy. Congrats on that. Hi, I'm Kate Hudson. I'm an aviation communications manager for the Port of Seattle, which my role is specifically at SeaTac Airport. I oversee our passenger experience storytelling, which focuses on the airport dining and retail program, um, our environmental work, and our capital development projects, which is essentially the new and, and renovated facilities you see at SeaTac. Uh, I'm Scott Thompson. I'm the Director of Communications at Seattle City Light. We're a municipally owned electric utility that serves Seattle and eight surrounding suburbs, pretty much everything on the other side of the lake. Um, that's about a million people, uh, 460,000 accounts. 
Um, I have a team of 16 uh, that does everything from media relations, community outreach, marketing, um, and graphics, videography, um, and uh, internal and external comms. All right, so what I love about this, we've got this great range of topics that we can cover. Um, and we've got everything from keeping the lights on to once those lights are on, that the decor has to be immaculate. Um, and by the way, I had a, a great experience yesterday at, at SeaTac, so thank you very much. Um, I didn't tweet about it. Sorry, I should have. I, I, yeah, I will tomorrow when I'm flying out. Um, but one, one question that's popping up here is the idea of, um, you know, obviously, if you've got some big, big headlines coming out, that's, that's easy news. But how do you create news and stories when there's nothing really new to share? Um, how do you kind of keep that drumbeat going? Uh, whoever wants to take that one first. I can start. Um, you know, we've had a lot of success lately with social listening. We have a completely integrated team on a lot of our accounts. Um, so if it's a, a low moment in generating news, we'll tend to capitalize on some of the trends that we're seeing on a, on a weekly basis. A good example, one of our clients is Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute. All the seafood, wild seafood coming out of the state of Alaska. Um, last week, we saw a lot of conversation about misconceptions with um, consuming seafood during pregnancy. So we were able to use some third-party RD spokespeople, registered dietitians, pitch a story with Pop Sugar, and had a ton of great information about Alaska seafood, which wasn't promoting a particular species, but got us into the conversation in a really big way and reached you know 27 million people. So we do that on a regular basis. Cool. I would say, yes, thought leadership, absolutely newsjacking as much as you can, right? If you know what your company stands for, what its platform is, um, if you get your executives out there uh, leading on trends or creating trends um, with ideas or research, then that's great. But um, the other thing is, and this doesn't work for everybody, but at Zillow and at many other companies, data can be a real pillar, of your PR strategy. And it's essential to keep those relationships going uh, so that when you do have something you want to pitch, a product, you know, product news or company news, you have those relationships with reporters. And if you're able to find a way to give them newsworthy stories on a regular basis, your relationships will be that much stronger for when you're pitching the stuff that your company really wants out there. I like all of those. Um, I have less to contribute on this just because I have the privilege of working for an institution where there is something new every 90 days or less at SeaTac Airport. Um, but when we do have sort of a lull, I thought there might have been consumer fatigue around national holidays or national months yet, but there's really not. So as it relates to our airport dining and retail program in, in general, we're always seizing like National Donut Day or whatever like the random cutesy thing is in that regard. And I think National Donut Day is like every three weeks. Probably, yeah. probably. Which is, if which not, is it ought to be. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> so the only other thing that I would add to this is that there's another resource that you should be looking at constantly, and that's your employee base. Um, you, we have 1,800 employees, and they do some really amazing things. And when you are mining those uh, stories primarily for your internal uh, communications efforts to share what great things they're doing, you come across some real gems that you can hang on to for those spots to pitch elsewhere. Well, and, and we were talking about how sometimes, sometimes not making news is as valuable as being in the news. Yes, absolutely. You want to talk about that for a second? Sure. Um, as I, 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 
Katie and I both work in public entities, and so we get a lot more scrutiny, and there's a lot of things that you know, are you know, operating in a fishbowl because of public disclosure and the like. So you know, we encounter plenty of questions about, well, why did you do this that may lead to some negative coverage. Um, you know, there are spots where you know, you'd like to make sure you're involved in the conversations about the decisions that lead to some of those spots so that you can herd some of those off um, ahead of time with your counsel um, internally and at least positioning it so that there's some mitigation to whatever the bad thing is ahead of time, which kind of dampens the enthusiasm and may lead to less coverage. And you had a great uh, you know, catchphrase earlier. Earlier, I'm going to let you sure. put that one out there. <laughs> yeah, we uh, at Zillow, part of my team uh, in corporate communications, we're in reputation management. And at the end of each month, I mean, you know, all executives want measurement and they want to see progress, but it's really hard to share with them the progress you're making in reputation management because 75% of it is keeping stuff out in the news. So at the end of every month, we'd send out an email and, you know, you have to be careful with this if you're a public entity or a public company like we were, but we'd uh, include the headline you didn't see because of the work the team had done. Yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. Well, and we were joking about, you know, like, especially on Twitter where everybody likes to complain. You know, like, I, you know, I live in Kansas City. I don't think I've ever tweeted to Kansas City Power and Light, thanks for leaving my power on during the Chiefs game. You know, but boy, if that cuts out, you know, you can bet that everybody's jumping on there. Um, so you were talking about the, sto the stories that just percolate up throughout an organization, you know, and, and Kate, in our conversation uh, that we had before this, that idea of thinking about the number of travelers coming through. I mean, there are literally stories all around you. What are some best ways that you guys have for engaging either colleagues or your consumers in that storytelling aspect? Um, because none of us should ever be, you know, dry of content. Um, but yeah, Kate, do you want to start with that one? Yeah, um, I would echo what Katie said about social listening. That's a really huge one for us. That's um, produced a lot of very lovely passenger experience stories, whether it's a child who's been reunited with a stuffed animal through our lost and found team, um, or even an airline partner going above and beyond to make sure someone made a connecting flight. That's really wonderful. But then within the airport, we have so many frontline staff that are both Port of Seattle employees, but also not. They're our tenant employees. So whether you're an airport concessionaire or an airline. So it can be tough sometimes to identify employee stories in that regard if you're um, working at the airport, but not an employee of the Port of Seattle. Um, but more often than not, it's the relationships that you have with those tenants where they are coming to you to share them. So um, I've only been with the airport for 18 months, but a huge part of my initial task was relationship building with those folks so that there's more integration between like us as the, the entity that operates the facility and then the people who are actually running it. And I would, I would add to that that those stories don't have to start in an earned media space. Mm -hmm. They can start on your blog, go into your social feed, and if you tap the right thing that draws the interest and you get that, you know, you hit it right on that thread of here's what the conversation is all about and get enough people starting to share that, it may still work its way around and become an earned media story because of the buzz that you've generated in social. Yeah, one of my favorite examples, uh, this is just from about a month ago, and this was like right as I was wrapping up at Children's Mercy, so I'm like, oh, maybe I don't leave. Um, but we had an internal story where we had a group of like seven or eight nurses within one department that were all pregnant. And we're like, oh, that's kind of fun. But then our NICU came was like, oh yeah, 36. So we had 36 nurses just from our NICU. And again, these are the nurses that take care of the sickest of the sick, tiniest of the tiny babies. 
36 nurses were either pregnant or had already had babies in 2019 alone. And so we just took a group picture of them and shared it on social. And then our local ABC affiliate picked it up. And then suddenly, CBS Evening News is like, hey, can we stop by the hospital? I'm like, let me see. Yes. Yes, you can. You know, and Good Morning America is like, could we do a live shot? I'm like, well, it's kind of getting up early. Come on. Yes, you can. Um, but it was this great example of internal story became social media content, became local story, became national story. And it's not like we're sitting there, you know, asking our nurses on a regular basis, how many of you are pregnant? You know, because that'd be weird, you know, but as soon as these great stories just percolated, it's that idea of if it gets you excited, it's probably going to get somebody else excited. Um, but yeah. There's something interesting there too in what you said about, you know, stories are great, but making sure they're tying back to a bigger story you want to tell. I mean, same thing, you know, I said data, um, you know, if you're mining your company, whatever you do for data, it should always tie back to what you want people to think about your company. So really, you know, strategically figuring out what those things are ahead of time can help you better choose those stories and choose what to do with them when you get them. Yeah, we've actually at Edelman developed an entire team that's dedicated to story mining. So we actually go out into the community or into our constituency and actually look for that deeper spokesperson bench, right? We always have the executives that we go to, but who are the two true authentic storytellers within the organization or out in the field that we can leverage on a regular basis. So quarterly, we're going out and meeting with those folks looking for new stories that technically we start on our own channels and we'll develop content that's released there and then see if we can repurpose that for earned storytelling as well. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, and to your point, Katie, like what was fun about that NICU nurses story, again, great feel-good story, but also we were able to point out that we are the only level four NICU in the region, and every one of those stories from USA Today all the way down included that. So I'm like, strategic, you know, this, this works out, and also just catching lightning in a bottle. Uh, but so we have a great question from the audience here. Um, so yes, remember, any of your questions. Um, along the same lines, do you have any tips for alternative suggestions for an unnecessary press release, because everyone hates writing press releases, um, or a blog post that you know no one will read? This is a, it feels like a downer of a question, but really it's, it's that idea of, you know, because if you're bored writing it, then they're going to be bored reading it. Um, so how do you find different ways to tweak that and, uh, and still get the story out there? I can start. We, we get this a lot with folks that are just so used to distributing press releases on a regular basis. And you have to take a step and back and say, why are we doing this over and over again? So we've had a lot of opportunities recently to offer exclusives or really targeted storytelling that allows us to go deeper with one individual news um, moment or a milestone to work collaboratively with a target journalist and have the story break that way. Um, additionally, we can work with that particular outlet to develop the content or the data or the infographic that goes along with it. And we find that that has a lot more traction um, than just sending out a press release and hoping that a bunch of miscellaneous outlets do a small news blurb based on what you've distributed. So going deep and um, focused. Yeah, I think, you know, ensuring that you and your team have a good understanding of what what makes news and then trying to convey that to your executives, which is not always easy and, you know, can be a years long process of relationship building. But another kind of trick is to couch your news inside of a trend so, you know, Zillow, for example, a couple of years ago launched um, the ability to sort of walk through homes in 3D, right? But it wasn't, we, we didn't have them on that many homes. It was interesting. We were really trying to get 
more real estate agents to do it uh, versus bring a bunch of consumers to the site who would be kind of disappointed in it. And, you know, for reporters, it was okay, that's okay, but it's not that interesting. I mean, there's so many new technologies for how you view, uh, you know, photographs and pictures and, and experiences that are virtual. Um, so we couched it in a trend. We had a survey that talked about how people were choosing homes, right? And how many people were buying homes sight unseen, which was happening a lot, especially from with buyers from abroad. So we were able to get some really interesting trend data about that that was part of the story. So then we sent it out to reporters. The 3D thing got mentioned a lot, right? But it wasn't the headline, but it was never going to be the headline. But better to have it out there than not. Um, I feel like my drumbeat is always relationships and on two folds. One, the Port of Seattle is governed by five elected officials, our commissioners, and there's a lot of, um, you know, reality around if a commissioner wants to tell a certain story about something, a lot of pressure to do that. So half of it is having a good relationship with whoever your big, big boss is or their staff. So you can be like, this is really not a good fit for XYZ, but we can offer you this and have that heard in a way that's happy. But then the other part is as an earned media person for your organization, I think you also have to have really great relationships with the reporters that are important to your company or business or um, industry. And so I think a lot of times it's, we have, we in particular have an issue more press releases than we want or mean to just because of public disclosure requirements. Um, but a lot of times it's, it's one-to-one pitching either email or by phone, which I still love to pick up the phone. I think a lot of people aren't. Um, and I also am happy to like tweet at a reporter that's worked well for me quite a few times and just going them directly with what I have to offer. I, I think that the only other thing I'll add to this is that when you get that thing that comes across and you know that you're only going to be creating more sawdust that goes into the compost pile um, as the request, take a fresh look at what is really there and is there an opportunity to look at that from a different angle that finds some nugget that piques your interest, that gives you a way of getting into that information so that it actually lands and, and and become something on the other end. Because in the relationship management that you're doing with all of the folks who cover you, sending this kind of stuff over there is a, is a withdrawal from your bank of goodwill. Um, and you don't want to waste uh, capital you know, by sending stuff over that is just eating up time in their day. Because in this day and age, you've got smaller and smaller staffs being asked to do two and three times what, you know, the volume of stories that they did just 10 years ago, and that will be a relationship killer. So that is a perfect segue into our next question. I try. Amazing. <laughs> yes. It's like we scripted this. Um, but no, one of the questions here, uh, what are some pitching behaviors that will quickly get you ignored by reporters? Um, and I think spam is one of them. Um, with a follow-up, because that's kind of, a, again, a negative. We're, we're all kind of like just waking up, I think. But like um, with a what can you do to stand out instead? Um, but so yeah, we just got done talking about the content and making it rich. But what about those contacts and keeping keeping them rich? Because I know that yeah, relationships are are the biggest part of it. Yeah, and uh, that relationship does get developed over time. Um, what you do um, when the reporter calls you is going to have a huge impact on what happens when you're pitching them. If you're not available every time they call, or you're constantly a no comment on something that that they're uh, checking in with you about. They are not going to take your call when you've flipped the script on them. And so, you know, 
it, it's it's a little bit different for for me being in the public sector in that you know we've kind of got an, an obligation to you know to you know, address some of those things and and also the underlying piece that if we don't they'll just go to the public records route and pull it all out that way and it just you end up looking worse so we want to get out ahead of those stories and consistently be there and always answer the bell um, and be available um, you know, at whatever time they call to make sure that we address their needs in telling our story as, effecti as effectively as we can. But when you do that over time, you develop the kinds of relationships when you've got something that um, you really feel is, is valuable and you recognize is a, is a good story to have out that you can put a little more you know, pressure on, on somebody to you know, work that into their story mix. I definitely agree with all of that. I think one thing that I love to do is read, listen to, and watch the news stories that my important journalists are producing. Knowing what they're talking about and what their recent story interests have been is really important. Um, and then also, like, there's no need to follow up a lot. If you have a story that a reporter wants, they will get back to you. So if I don't hear from you in a couple of outreaches, then I'm going to assume that this one's not for you. Yeah, I think uh, another thing is to make sure you have a lot of empathy for the reporters. And, you know, part of that is understanding what their days are like. And, and they're all different, right? I mean, some of them have to write four or five stories in a day. So for them, you know, how can, can you make it easy? Can you give them content um, on a regular basis to build that relationship? Other reporters are going to have, you know, different, different priorities. And if you can kind of sit in their seat and figure out what it is, uh, then you're going to be that much more helpful to them and, and you're going to build a stronger relationship. And if you don't know, just ask. I mean, no reporter minds talking about what their day's like. They'll always tell you. And they'll tell you where the hard parts are. <laughs> and to build on that, not going to a journalist just when you need a story. Checking in on a regular basis to hear about what their goals are for the next quarter. Just to learn and make sure that you're bringing them what they need. Also, we spend a lot of time with journalists that are in New York, so we try to get out there a couple times a quarter just to set up meetings, not because we're trying to sell them on something, just to keep those relationships going. Being on the other side of it, when I was at uh, Martha Stewart's company, the amount of email pitches we would get or creative mailers that just got tossed to the wayside, we had a whole room that was just mailers that were never opened. And it was so sad to see because we know how much work went into creating that, and it's just falling on deaf ears. So making sure that you know exactly who you are wanting to reach out to um, and keeping that going on a regular basis. So that's where all my pitches end up. Is that, is that, <laughs> all of us died a little bit right there. Um, but no, I think that's a big thing is like journalists are people too. I mean, it's big surprise, you know, but like, so getting to know them as not just the recipient of your pitch. I mean, when I was at Garmin, I ran a half marathon with a runner's world editor and it was, you know, between breaths, but like I pitched the hell out of a, of a product we were coming out with and it was awesome because we were actually getting to know each other a little bit or even just like happy hours, you know, networking breakfast. I know our local business journal does a meet the editors, meet the newsroom happy hour, like every quarter. And you can bet that I'm going to be there, you know. And again, not there to pitch, but there to just get to know them and, and build those relationships. And then the more that I'm there, the more people ask me about what's going on instead of me walking in with press release flying because that's a really bad way to enter a party. Well, and these days, too, I think journalists appreciate more than anything support. So ways that you or your company can show support for journalism, I mean, that goes a long way to relationship building. 
I think one of the things that we were really successful with um, a few years uh, ago is we started in a regional uh, winter preparedness campaign called Take Winter by Storm. Uh, I, I looked at and drew from my journalism background to plan Monday events at just the right time with everything that they would need to be able to show up in one spot, have a story in the can for that night's uh, newscast before 11 o'clock. Yep. And the, the first go round where we made the rounds and made pitches, there was a little bit of skepticism, but hey, we're gonna show up at this first one and check it out. And when we had everybody that they needed to interview, a visual in, a compelling visual in place that allowed them to get to that, and a set of tips for them to do to takeaways on, they ate it up. And by the second year we were coming around, it was like, walking, what are you doing for this uh, this year? It was like, I knew I had Six, you know, you know, six segments of uh, of, of airtime that I could pretty much do whatever I wanted with because I had developed that history and that track record with them of taking care of what their needs were at just the right time. Yeah. Well, and like I had the benefit of working at our local newspaper, the Kansas City Star, so I knew that the 10 a.m. budget meeting was where all the decisions were made. And so then when I shifted over to PR. I knew the difference between a 9.30 phone call and a 10.30 phone call. The 9.30 phone call, I'm at top of mind. 10.30, I'm getting voicemail because everybody's in that important meeting, and I've already missed that day's news cycle. Yep. And so I think getting to know the reporters and even just those little things, um, almost stalking, but not quite stalking. Um, and so that, that's, it's a good thing. Um, so when we talk about you know, what's newsworthy as we're having these conversations with reporters, and as you're trying to get this content from your colleagues, uh, somebody asks here, for getting employee stories, how do you educate employees on what's new, newsworthy and remind them that the PR team exists? I feel like a lot of people in here need a hug. You know, like these all, all these questions kind of have a womp womp at the end of it, but like, so how do you remind your employees that we exist? <laughs> One of the hardest things to do, I, I used to... I used to really preach this to my team is doing PR for yourself. You have to put those practices to bear internally as well. Um, do you have a regular newsletter going out? I mean, I remember when I first started at Zillow and we would get emails from engineers say, Oh, did you see the story in the New York times? Like how the hell do you think it got there? Right. I, I mean, I mean you- what do you think we do all day? <laughs> Right. But uh, but but, you know, making sure that you're constantly educating your CEO and other people like that about what you're doing, but making it easily available for them to see every day, you know, sending out the big wins and and not just, you know, don't just send out a list of all your coverage. Tell a story around it, too. I mean, it needs to be compelling content for your employees as well as, you know, as well as the way you create content for the outside world. Yeah. And I I exactly that oversharing in, internally right so that they're they don't have to look for the news or the news that was shared that day we had a best practice that the second a press release went out or a news story posted we shared it immediately along with that background so there was no there was no delay there it, it all happened simultaneously and I think that was key so there was no second guessing on on where anything came from um, I'll speak to the part about helping folks understand what is or isn't newsworthy. And for us at the port, we often ladder it up to, does this tell a story about what our values are? Um, so for, at SeaTac, that's customer experience, it's environmental goodness, it's choices, and it's affordability. And if it doesn't sort of connect to one of those, then it probably isn't going to be elevated. 
And then making yourself available for training for your employees, yeah. you know, those folks who may end up in front of a camera at some, at some point on a particular story as a subject matter expert, um, being able to do some prep sessions with them and walk them through questions to anticipate or even practice in front of a camera and walk them through some things to be aware of really pays off. Um, it makes them a better spokesperson, but also gets them to appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, that's a, that's a great reminder. I mean, I, so I spent six years working with engineers at Garmin, six years working with doctors at Children's Mercy, and I still remember one of the first, and again, it was a happy hour. I, I go to a lot of happy hours, it's fine. Uh, but like, I went to a happy hour, and it was literally brain surgeon, liver surgeon, and heart surgeon. And when I told them that I was the PR guy, they were like, oh, we could never do what you do. And I'm like, really? <laughs> really? You know? But it was just amazing to me how uncomfortable they were in front of a camera, but yet with just a little bit of coaching and reminding them that they're the smartest person in the room on that topic. They're not going to be asked about something that they don't know about, because that's not why the journalist is there. Then suddenly building that confidence. Yeah, media training was always, you know, it's always been one of my favorite things. And I think just to build on that is not um, over the oversight of, not doing a media opportunity, but every opportunity is a way to tell your story just because social media is so prevalent. Whether you're working in a booth at a trade show, that's another opportunity to tell your story. It's not just because you're going to be doing a broadcast interview. You should be prepared all the time from every level. So we make sure to share all of the messaging and train more people than you even think you need to just so that they're more that comfortability is there. Yeah. All right, we've got less than 15 minutes left, so make sure you're piping these questions in. They're awesome. I'm loving it that some of them are um, just entertaining me. This is great. Um, so one thing, when we were talking about getting these stories out there, making sure that we're still getting strategic messaging in there, uh, one of the questions is, how can you make sure your stories are authentic, yet still aligned with your brand voice? And so you want to make them real, but they really do need to help propel your brand's reputation. Oh. <laughs> I'm just going to go back to what we were talking about earlier. And, yeah, that uh, was a good jump ball. Spokesperson bench and third-party spokespeople, um, not always having it be one of your executives, but being able to go deeper and richer with your storytelling to make it super authentic. I think a great example is going back to my seafood, seafood on the brain. I'm going to be in Alaska next week, but um, fishermen stories. We actually go out on the docks and talk to fishermen and set them up with reporters rather than someone that's from a marketing organization or from a, a seafood company to tell that story from sea to table and what it takes and why they do their, their job day to day. That goes so much farther than having just your brand spokesperson out there on a regular basis. So again, trying to find those rich storytelling opportunities. And also you can seed them with some of your messaging, but it's going to be innate in what they're doing. They live and breathe it. Yeah, and I, you know, to go back to it, uh, so much of this decision-making process should be done way before you learn any of the stories. Um, what are the pillars of your external communication strategy? What do you want various audiences to know about your company, your product? Um, and once you once you have that figured out, you know, you start to see where these stories map. If they map to different places, you might get great stories that don't map. Um, Maybe use them for, you know, internal sort of uh, cheerleading or, you know, making employees feel better. Maybe use it for recruiting purpose, something like that. But, um, you know, knowing up front what that is and having broad agreement throughout your organization about what you are trying to convey to the public is the best way to figure out whether a story maps. 
Um, I also will just say like going down a couple of levels, it's not always the director or head of an organization. So I love that you go to fishermen. That's very clever. Um, but for us, it's like a lot of middle management folks and that's better also because they tend to be less of like the expectation of a talking head. But also we have like very interesting stories about animals at the airport. So that's something that we sometimes utilize as like, um, the port of Seattle PD canine program. Like they've been really helpful storytelling, um, spokes persons um when we're talking about like public safety or upcoming like big travel seasons um so sometimes it's unexpected folk completely agree i mean when you get that merger of authentic voice uh, especially from your frontline folks that are in it and doing that every day you know on message with the things that your organization is really all about and that's the secret sauce all right so we've been talking about how to get into stories Here's a great question, um, and I'll also use this as a shameless plug for my buddy Ryan's uh, presentation at 2 o'clock for AMC Theaters. How do you decide whether or not to be a part of a media conversation that's important but touchy internally or externally? It's a hot topic, but boy, it could be jumping into the frying pan. Well, on, on, I'm, I may not be the right person to answer this because we often get invited into that. It's, it's a cone whether, of trust. It's, whether it's a we, trust whether we like to or not, or not, because we're a public entity. Um, but I think that that some of what you're you're looking at there is, uh, you know, what what is the story that comes out of this for your organization, right? And you, you need to be thinking ahead of that curve strategically. And what are the questions that are going to be asked? And do you have good answers for them? Um, because before you put anybody into an interview, you want to you know, have gone through more questions than uh, the reporter is going to lob at, at your boss in particular. And I'm uh, you know, fond of telling them, uh, you know, I'm going to put you through something worse than what your experience is going to be because it's better to have answers to questions that don't get asked than to not have answers to questions that do get asked. Um, and when you, you know, preview those things, you may still get the call that from a public entity, you're going to have to come up with something because you, know, you, know, you don't want the no comment spot. But there could be a trending thing that's going on. And whether you want to tip, you know, dip your toe into that water or not, you want to think about what is the, what is the headline that's going to come out you know, the, the back end of it and where are you going to be positioned. And if there's an opportunity to you know, add some value through, through that, great. If not, you may want to sit that one out. So what's the best that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? We rarely sit those out, um, which was a big change for me coming from the private sector. Um, and I also find that it's usually super helpful because often the story that might be uncomfortable for the airport is a conspiracy theory of something or just something that's straight up not accurate. And so it's usually a chance to um, change an opinion and provide information about like actually what we are doing, what had happened there was. Um, and so it's a, a better chance to, to clear the air for us. Uh, this is a, you know, this is coming from the perspective, um, of 11 years at Zillow, you know, a publicly traded company that started, you know, started 13 years ago. And when Zillow started, I mean, having to weigh in on these discussions was not anything anybody talked about. And if you're on the, you know, if you go to a lot of communications conferences the past couple of years, I mean, you hear the word purpose over and over and over again. And it is really difficult, I'll say from experience, to come, uh, you know, inside of an established company to try to turn the ship 
and convince, get, get broad agreement within the company that you all need to align on what your company stands for. But, you know, if you're a, if you're a big consumer facing company, you have to stand for something today and there's no way around it. Um, so you have to go after this proactively. I mean, at Zillow, there were some easier answers than for other companies. Housing, of course. Housing, we stand for that. You know, we stand for making sure people have a safe and, and good place to live. So that informs some of the decisions um, about, you know, what we dove into, what we didn't dive into. You know, now I advise a lot of startups and uh, much earlier stage companies, usually pre-IPO. And this is a whole work stream we have now, you know, figuring this out from the beginning. And I mean, these startups are in a great position right now. And I mean, I just will not let them get away without thinking about this and coming up with the, you know, the answers early on, because when you try to do it on the fly, um, it just creates a lot of back and forth. Uh, you are never able to bring into the conversation all the necessary stakeholders when it's happening in the moment. So it really needs to be a planned out, you know, process. And I'd say, you know, if you're in one of these later stage companies that's struggling with this, you like bring somebody in to help you. Like this is a perfect, you know, Edelman or whoever, um, or Reagan, you know, issue. Like you need help with this. It's a really hard problem. Yeah, I would just echo that preparedness plans. We try to do this, if you can, a year or six months out to anticipate issues and know how you're going to respond uh, before those come up. And then also utilizing them as an education opportunity uh, to reset misconceptions about a question or a brand and then pivot to your purpose if you can. All right, we've got about five more minutes, so I'm, I'm going to ask a question, then we're going to go lightning round, just because that's kind of fun. All right, so this one, um, and again, this is kind of expanding a question that probably wouldn't have been around just a few years ago. Non-traditional influencers like YouTubers continue to grow in prominence. Can you share how you're using relationships with these emerging influencers to drive positive coverage? Um, I'll take that one. Uh, we They didn't have an influencer program when I came to the airport, but my background is consumer lifestyle PR. So I brought a lot of those relationships with me to the airport and they are super helpful. Um, it is kind of an awkward paradigm right now where a lot of um, influencers want to be paid for their content and their time when you're like, well, your 1,200 followers really aren't going to be worth the ROI on that. So a lot of what we do at the airport is in-kind experiences, so dining experience in exchange for social content. Um, and there's also a chance to like build a lot of that into like the messages for how we talk to them. Um, so ours is definitely more like micro-influencers, which is where I see greater value than like someone who has half a million um, Instagram followers. But I bet you probably have some thoughts on that too, Katie, based on your practice. Yeah, definitely. Almost all of our campaigns are integrated between earned and paid and also utilize influencers as well as media as a spokesperson to t or a way to tell our stories. Um, similar to you, we do look for other opportunities rather than just a straight paid placement. Also looking at ways that will benefit them in reaching a larger audience. So involving them to be um, a part of events, um, we'll do that, or hosting events with influencers as our, our hosts for the night and then generating content through their channels that way. Uh, we do a lot of trips that are just for influencers or events that are just influencers to get a behind the scenes look. We'll let them in you know, days before or weeks before something's ready to launch to experience something in advance. So giving them something that's gonna stand out and make them feel 
a part of it or like they're getting in some sort of sneak peek is really helpful. All right, lightning round. Does someone, this is just a yes, no, and why or why not. Uh, does someone from your staff always media, or sorry, does someone from your team always staff media interviews, phone or in person, why or why not? And go. Um, absolutely. Um, always to take notes. And we actually find that a lot of times sending out uh, recaps, not only to our own internal spokespeople, but to the journalists to recap some of the key messages that came through. Nobody's doing fact checking anymore. So if you can convey what was already discussed, it gives you a better chance to control the messages that are ultimately conveyed. Absolutely. Uh, you need a written record of everything that was said. You know, hopefully you don't have to go back and try to correct something. But if you do, the person being interviewed is not going to know how to do that or be in a good position to do that. You have to you have to have things written down and you have to have I mean, I like to record if I can. If the journalist is recording, we always record, too. So, yes, for the same reasons. That's our intent. I can't say that we're perfect at pulling it off. Sure. That's yeah. the approach. All right. And here's a, another good question. Again, we've got big brands represented. Um, but how many in the room are from a small-ish PR team? How many are a team of one? And it's okay. Be proud. We, 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 Hell we're yeah. here for you. Um, and so the question is, what are tips for media strategy when you're on a small team or a team of one? And we'll finish off with that one. We've just got a couple minutes left. So let's, uh, let's give our, our small brethren a, a big hug. Prioritize. Prioritize and get buy-in for your priorities. You know, you can't do it all. So let people know what's below the line and above the line and then go after what's above the line. Yeah. Uh, think about what are so, not just the wins for your organization, but the wins for you and, and prioritize that because then that might mean that there's better justifications for you to have the FTE to hire someone to join you or like get contract work. Pick your spots and swing for the fences. Find an intern. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like you get one wish, wish for more wishes, is yeah. that type of thing? All right, well, that was so fast. Let's do one more. Um, for national or international organizations, how do you balance or prioritize national versus local media? Um, for us, it's always a combination. It's key to have uh, story placements in national at, at certain times, but also regional can go a long way to entice national media to tell your story. So two-pronged approach often works. Uh, reflect the business goals. So figure out what your company's business goals are and, and your media strategy should reflect that. The thing that I'll add to that is that remember, because uh, we deal with it when uh, big events tend to happen, particularly emergency management kind of stuff, um, and it's really easy to get enamored of all the satellite trucks and all of the you know, national attention. But remember, your local reporters are going to be there after they all go home. And how you treat them in the middle of those big stories is going to have a big impact on what your relationship is afterwards. Yeah, we had, we had an example where we had this great patient story and CNN was interested, but only if we told our local Kansas City Star reporter to kill their story before it ran. And we're like, no. You know, it's like I'm I'm going to keep a year long, years long relationship with our local star reporter instead of being enamored by by CNN. And the great thing was they both published on the same day, and both of them were happy. But we were just so upfront and above the table with both of them that we managed expectations that way. All right, very last one, um, just because we're going to squeeze every ounce of knowledge out of you guys. Um, this is a question for Katie Goldberg, but I'll throw it to all four of you just because we got one minute left. Are media events or media tours ever a good idea in today's climate, or are they similar to media mailers at this point? 
I think they're absolutely 100% still a viable way to get your message out there, but it has to be something different. It can't be a tried and true press conference, dinner. It has to have something that's above and beyond to get the journalists to attend. All right. Yep. I was going to say, we've done them on kind of like some of the behind the scenes kind of stuff or that extra time to experience it in a, in a way that um, you know, gives them some insights that they might not otherwise have and that extra time and attention to dive in on, on a particular option. Perfect. All right. Well, we've given you guys a lot to noodle over lunch. Um, a big thanks to Katie, Katie, Kate, and Scott. Uh, give them a big round of applause, and we'll see you at uh, later sessions. Thank you for listening to our latest episode of the Communications Spotlight, a podcast aiming to deliver high-quality content for both internal and external communications. If you like this session and want to hear more content like it, please visit reagantraining.com for membership. For one low price, you get access to over 600 hours of content ranging from the best presentations from our live conferences to virtual events. If you are interested in a membership, please visit reagantraining.com virtual and you can save $300.